Also, Xbox 360 called. They want their mic back. <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, I, I guess he's gone. He couldn't handle it. That burn was so much. Oh, he just needed to it. So hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to Pigeon Screen. This is a book club about books that are adapted to movies and a movie club about movies adapted from books. I'm Calvin, and uh, Anne Shirley is my bosom friend. Hi, my name's Ashton, and uh, I think adults in the late 1800s were kind of dicks. So I'm Doug, and uh, I hope they bring back elocution. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I wish I read this earlier. Today, we are discussing Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables, the novel, was written by Lucy Maud Montgomery and published in 1908. And Anne of Green Gables, the adaptation by CBC, came out in 1985, and it was directed by Kevin Sullivan. Um, We're going to hop right into the book. How did we feel about this Canadian classic? Uh, I kind of wish I had read this book when I was younger. Um, There's just a lot of stuff in it that as a kid, I felt it would have related to me more hearing um, just the way Anne is interacting with the world and especially how she's got a very hyperactive imagination. And as a kid, I was always told that. So I think maybe as a kid, I would have associated um, just kind of growing up, I would have loved the book a lot more. I mean, I do love the book, but I just feel like I, I really wish I had read this as a kid. Um, so I chose this uh, for the group um, because I was planning on going to Eastern Canada eventually. Like it was kind of, I always try to plan big trips into the future. And uh, Prince Edward Island was on that trip. So I decided uh, to read the book. And I figured since we're doing this podcast already that, uh, you know, you guys might as well read it too. But I enjoyed it probably as much as I hoped I would. Um, like I was already, I was already going to pick up the book expecting to enjoy it, but it ended up being a really like beautiful book coming of age. Uh, and it gave me, it showed me a perspective. Cause the thing is, is I tend to read either nonfiction or science fiction and they're almost always, and by almost always, I mean, I can't think of a single instance where it wasn't. Uh, done by by male authors and so this was kind of like the first time I stepped out of that genre and I I enjoyed it immensely same thing for me too like when when Doug suggested it like this was never really a book I I ever thought to myself that I needed to read Um, and tip and like I got about a third into the book and I was like oh geez I'm not sure if I'm like really into this yet and then when I got about halfway through I was like okay and then I got I got interested and I really did enjoy it by the end of the time I by the time I was finishing it up but yeah typically speaking as far as the genre itself this was just not on my radar something that I thought I would even care to read in the future I and it's really good to be able to broaden my horizons with this but overall I really did enjoy the book quite a bit same with me for the most part. Um, I've, I mean, I, I've just in general be, been reading a lot more books this year, like period. So, um, and I kind of set the goal for myself at the start of the year that I'm going to just read everything and not limit myself to any one genre. But yes, for the majority of the part, I think like science fiction and like horror are probably the things I more likely lean towards. Um, so it was cool to read. Um, 
something that like had like none of those elements and was just like such a such an absolute like everyday kind of story um and like it it's it's actually interesting i think this goes to say more about like the adaptations that i've watched of it um but even in the book like there's almost no conflict in the entire book and i think i think like normally i would think like oh like that that doesn't sound that interesting but there's something so like so calming about that i compare it to like something like breaking bad or 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 something else where where watching the thing will make you more tense and like watching this thing or reading this thing is going to give you anxiety and like and like and like Anne of Green Gables is the absolute opposite of that like it's like like it is it's pure escapist fiction in in the best sense because it's like yeah i i had no point felt anxious or anything like i loved picking up the book because i loved having this like really chill read to to come back to every once in a while like i kind of felt kind of in the same sense um you know how you you and this is just how i would put it my brain kind of does like a video games thing where you know when when you have when you're playing a co-op video game but it's a video game where you're not against each other where you're trying to build something like a minecraft or something i felt that as like a reader you're kind of in that same sense because you everybody joined on the side of Anne early on in the book and was like hoping that she would be a success or like her life would be better. And, and, and through the entire book, you're, you're, everybody's pulling in that same direction. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there's no real antagonist uh, other than maybe like Josie Pye who shows up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> back, back this book should just be, be called 101 Reasons Why Josie Pye is a Total Jerk for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it because it just felt like, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a bachelor male, I felt like I was taking the viewpoint of Matthew pretty much in every instance where he... he and, and it's a little bit different because, you know, kind of the people who read this book can't really say, oh, I'm an older, uh, I'm an older single man reading this book. And so as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I'm putting myself in, in Matthew's shoes to the point where I almost feel like, like I'm Matthew as I'm reading it. And I'm just like watching this relationship between Marilla and, uh, and develop in front of me. I, I, that's partially one of the reasons I really enjoyed the book. Yeah, like Matthew's character is actually really interesting because he's such a he's almost a non-character. He's very he's he's in it for for such a small portion of it. Um and it's weird because I think like at first I didn't quite like him that much. The fact that like oh like he didn't want a girl and like he had this like innate fear of women and stuff when he was like going to pick her up. I was like all right, so he's, he's just a loser. Like I don't understand like like what this dude's <laughs> thing is. I think by the end of the book like you really do kind of kind of get this sense of like it it's a very refreshing male character for starters because there's Matthew just has such a wholesome father daughter relationship with her because I feel like so often you'll see those relationships portrayed as the father being overprotective of the daughter and like and that can be pretty toxic you know um whereas like that's never Matthew's thing like he's he's always like super supportive of her and like um and like it's like made fun of and stuff like that, but it's like it's always endearing. Yeah, it's it's an interesting like lens. And I and I and you're right. I don't know how many older 
single men are reading reading this book um and relating to it um but that's also one of the reasons why i like it so much is because it is something that like we wouldn't necessarily like i wouldn't necessarily pick up and it's a viewpoint i wouldn't necessarily have um but there are so many instances reading it where i was like i think of like i think of when i first read harry potter and I feel like, and I feel like probably a lot of people had the same reaction when they were reading Harry Potter growing up is that this was this character that a lot of kids, a lot of young boys probably saw themselves as, you know, and, um, and I'm sure there are a lot of those characters for boys. Um, and there probably are a lot of those for girls. This book is probably so important. Like it's probably such an important piece of literature for young girls to read um because Anne is such a is such a like i guess abnormal character and um and i think being a young girl reading that and being like oh like i can be as silly as she is um i want to build upon that point when i told my mom i was reading Anne of green gables and like she got super excited when I could talk to her about characters when I was done the book it was just like such a nice thing to do because when it comes to books, me and my mom never really read the same kind of books. The only thing that comes to mind is Harry Potter. She used to read me Harry Potter when I was a little kid uh, going to bed. And after Matthew died, I went downstairs and you know I told my mom Matthew died and she was like, oh, I know. It was like this wholesome moment. I would talk to my mom and say like, I love how Anne has this imagination and she would counter with a point like, Oh, you know, growing up on the farmstead, just reading Anne of Green Gables with her sisters and whatnot was this amazing moment for them. And it's like finding that bridge between my mom's younger self and me now, like where that kind of connectedness comes from. So yeah, I didn't think I would be liking this book as much. I just wish I had read this book earlier. I felt like I would have loved it even more than I could being a kid, maybe at my mom's age when I read it. It's a kid's book, is it not? Yeah, like it's a kid's book for sure it is. Um, but it's just, it's interesting because at the time, I don't even know if that was a thing. Like, I don't know if like, if like young adult novels was a thing. Like, I think that's more of a modern um, way of looking at things. Um, I think at the time it was probably just published as a novel, um, much in the same way that I think, you know, like David Copperfield or Oliver Twist was published as just novels, but like they're about adolescence and they're coming of age stories. And yeah, yeah like, there's some there are some pretty universal yeah. things about it. No, I I absolutely adore this book. Just having this moment where me and my mom could bond over this book really meant a lot to me. Like just at the end, talking about characters and Gilbert Blythe, which my mom immediately mispronounced as Gilbert Blight, and I immediately loved that. That's uh yeah, you bring up an interesting point. Did anyone else talk about the book with? with people in their in their acquaintances like with with people in your family or people that you know or friends or anything it's funny i don't think uh, my my older sister probably has read it uh mm-hmm. but other than that i actually haven't spoken to her i actually like would like to see if she has seen it I, or read it i literally just finished it Mm-hmm. two days ago so i actually haven't gotten a chance to talk to anybody about it um but um, i know i don't think anyone else in my family has read it but if, if someone in my family has read it it would be Allie. Allie, for sure my older sister would for sure have read it but yeah i haven't really gotten a chance to be able to discuss it with anybody this is actually my first time discussing it with anybody yeah 
I'm sure you're like, you read it like weeks ago, but you've been like hiding it from everybody. <laughs> you like got you like came home with like a like a book and a uh, paper bag, and your mom's like, "What's that?" It's like, "Oh, it's it's nothing." Leave me alone. Doug, what about you? Uh, I have talked to, I talked to my mother about it. Um, she didn't have the same reaction. All she she literally just said, "Oh, I read that when I was young," and that was literally it. Uh, I talked to people I, at work about it. Um, and there was only one one person who who responded in any any more than just like oh that's that's interesting and that's a uh, a, a girl I work with and uh, she's she's red haired and uh, like you could tell it was it meant something to her and I guess <laughs> and I'm not I don't want to connect the two but I'm just saying that the only uh, woman that I met who showed any sort of excitement when I told her about it happened to have red hair. And so she was just like, and she asked you like, are you going to, I had just finished the novel that day when I was talking to her and she asked, are you going to read the next one? And I said, I said, yes, I have to, because, you know, uh, you know, Gilbert and what's it called? Our friends, uh, Marilla's going blind. Matthew died. Like, I have to see next. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I picked up the book and I've been reading it slowly. So, uh, do you call your coworker carrots? Uh, no, I, if I called her that, I'm pretty sure I would go to the HR. She, <laughs> she's break a slate over your head. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think, um, for me, uh, for me, my mom, I don't think has read it. Um, but my mom also didn't grow up in Canada. Um, and I feel like she probably read different books when she was younger. The only people that I know that have read it are like my partner and, um, and her sister who I live with. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to read it so much is because they keep talking about it. And like, I feel like there's like a lot of inside jokes in their family about Anne of Green Gables. And I was like, okay, I, I have to be a part of this. So I'm excited. Um, so yeah, like they were pretty excited for me for reading it. Um, and then when we watched the adaptation, we like tried to make it into a big thing where we like, we bought some current wine and... Uh, and and drank a lot of current wine while we while we watched it, uh, not three tumblerfuls like fucking out of control Diana. But <laughs> um, yeah, and to go to Doug's point, like I I definitely want to go to PEI after reading. Um, it like just the the some of the like passages about how she describes how she describes the place are it's incredibly poetic and it's definitely like, I can't imagine how much this boosted tourism for Prince Edward Island. I would imagine a lot because this novel was like super popular when it came out. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in the same boat. Like it's definitely something I wanted to visit. PEI in a way becomes its own character in the book. And and it's almost it's really strange because whenever they reference Halifax or any of the other maritime provinces, they make them seem like like sad and angry that only bad things happen over there. And then you and then she describes uh, Prince Edward Island, and it, it, she just describes it as this beautiful jewel of a land. And then the thing is, is even as Canadians, and I think even I've always thought of Prince Edward Island that way. And and you know I think this book has has entered into the minds of every Canadian where we just believe that Prince Edward Island is, is that book, even if we haven't read the book. Because if you talk to any just general Canadian and you ask him, uh, do you think Prince Edward, Island, uh, Prince Edward Island is a nice place? 
they would probably just say like, yeah, you know, uh, red cliffs, green grass, beautiful orchards, uh, potatoes. <laughs> That's uh, uh, apple, or, and, apple orchards. Yeah. <laughs> the, so like, like in, in my mind, I almost feel like, like the book has, has entered so, so much into Canadian, I don't know, idea that it's, it's kind of changed the way we even think about Prince Edward Island and probably over the course of the past hundreds or so years, it probably has brought hundreds of millions of dollars because Chinese or uh, Japanese tourists go there yearly. It's like a weird pilgrimage. Ah, Liz, um, uh, my partner's sister, um, Liz was talking about uh, someone that she, that she knew that, that was from Prince Edward Island. And he was saying that like, oh, everyone thinks Prince Edward Island is like Anne of Green Gables. And she's like, is it, is it not? And he's like, no, like, it's nothing like that. And like, he had red hair. <laughs> he's like, and she's like, okay. And then, and then she's like, oh, well, what did you, what did you do at Prince Edward Island? And he's like, oh, like, uh, I, my family owns an apple orchard. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you probably go to his house and you're like going through the most beautiful uh, things ever. He's like, yeah, this is just total trash here. It's uh <laughs> Yeah, just don't, don't don't worry about <laughs> that shimmering lake over there. <laughs> the point I made when I when I introduced myself with like the adults in this book kind of being dicks was, with the exception of uh, Matthew and Marilla to an extent, although at first she was hard to like. For me personally, <laughs> she was kind of hard to like at first. Um, but you warm up to her by the end, obviously. But like uh, Miss Miss Rachel Lind was horrible just <laughs> horrible yeah. and like the, the whole concept of adopting a child so that they can basically be your slave was also like yeah that's pretty messed up that <laughs> she was about to give and almost gave Anne to that other adult that was like oh yeah so you can raise my multiple sets of twins like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, no kind i also kind of love how ridiculous the adults are in the book though because it's so funny like, it's so yeah. incredibly hilarious just watching how, like, I almost feel like this could be, like, I almost feel like this could almost be, like, a parody of something that Charles Dickens would write. Like, there's just such abject, like, hatred towards children or something that's, yeah. like, that's, like, happening throughout the book um, that it's hilarious that I'm just, like, there's no way. There's no way anyone can be like this. But, it just, but like, having Anne, like, kind of fight that and, like, and spar with so many of those adults is also so great. And I think that's one of the things that I like about this book. Like in addition to just being a good book for girls to read, um, I think it's a good book for kids to read in general, because it's just, it's just refreshing reading a kid's book where, where a child is challenging authority so often. Like, I think that's just a good theme for children mm -hmm. to grow up with. And she um, apologizes to Rachel Lind. Like it's, it's hilarious. It's absolutely mm -hmm. hilarious to read. Um, but also yeah. like, just like, yeah, like her reaction to like every adult throughout the book is like, she treats them like a person and like doubts them and questions them. And like a lot of the times the, the other adults are like, Oh, you can't talk about adults that way. And in some, in yeah. some cases, like, like her first, her first, uh, school teacher, Mr. Philip, which like, oh. good Lord, didn't like, <laughs> It took me a while to catch on to what was happening there. And then I was like, oh, he's a with, with Petty Andrews, right? Yeah. I was like, with Prissy Andrews. Oh, Prissy like, Andrews. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, he's a 
file. Holy shit. And she, and the first day that Anne's at school, she's like, Oh, like, I don't like the way that he taught. I don't like the way that he looks at Prissy Andrews. Like, and Marilla is just like, Oh, you can't question an adult. I'm like, the guy's a pedophile. Like, I think what you should be doing right now is calling up that school. Like, <laughs> like what's the matter with you? It- yeah, see, like, and when I was first reading it, I'm just like, so he's the headmaster, and she's a 16 year old girl, and I'm just like, like, I'm just <laughs> as I'm reading it, I'm like, what the heck? Like, and I'm trying to, like, I was even trying to imagine. Okay, so let's pretend this guy is fairly young, but like, as a headmaster at a school, how young could you possibly be? Before? Like, and so yeah, basically yeah. the entire for a good portion of the book from there on, every time I heard that, every time they kept coming back to that story, every once in a while, I just cringe. You're like, oh, okay, whatever. That's a, it also goes to show like how different we view the world now a hundred and some years later. Like, I, I know that's no excuse. I'm just saying that, you know, say 70 years ago, nobody reading that book would even cringe at that, at that scene uh, or those scenes or whatever. Uh, so I guess that's a good thing. Uh, well, it is a, a good thing, but it just, that entire, it, it, it's, that's the one part of the book that threw me off as I was reading it. Because we did bring up Matthew and Marilla, um, I I love Marilla's character. Um, I agree what you said that she it takes a while to warm up to her. I think she's probably also a character that when you look back on with time, you probably really come to admire. It's funny because Liz and Marcia were talking to me about this, and they said that um, when they were growing up, they always saw themselves as Anne, and now that they're older they realize they're actually more like Marilla, <laughs> which is, which is hilarious because it's like, yeah, I could totally see that being true. Like she just has no patience for anyone's bullshit. And it's just, and it's just so great. One of my favorite parts that I, that I bookmarked is um, there's, a, there's a part when she first meets Anne and's talking about her red hair. Um, and she's, uh, and she says something like, did you ever did you ever know of anybody whose hair was red when she was young but got to be another color when she grew up? Uh no, I don't know as I ever did, said Marilla mercilessly. And <laughs> I don't and I shouldn't think it likely to happen in her case either. And I was just like, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, I just love like and that's the other thing too, is the writing is so witty. It's just so well written and it's just so funny. You know the thing, it, it actually saddened me at the end of this book. Um because there was a, like, because I know just the, the L.M. McGovery's story, I, I know a little bit about it now. And uh, I know about all the years she struggled to get this published. And really, it was only because she believed so much in this story and, and loved her character of Anne so much that she decided to go back and try to get it published uh, years after she had originally written it. And... And then, of course, as we're talking about perspective and talking about all this stuff. And, and it really affected me. Uh, just, I, I just imagine all of the movies, or not, not, not all the movies, all of the books written by women that were just as good or possibly even better that ended up in the trash can uh, because nobody would listen to them. And, and I think, you know, nowadays it's, it is slightly different because uh, people, uh, you know, uh, minorities and, and women uh, have have voices and have outlets now that they can they can talk but back then that, that simply wasn't the case and so I just I just sit back and I think about all of the manuscripts that were thrown in the garbage mm-hmm. yeah uh, for sure uh, and and all of these amazing perspectives like like a win 
for for the way the way we look at stuff now because nowadays a, a book a good book written by whoever uh, has a decent chance of being published and it was just wasn't the case mm-hmm. like that but she wrote this book with my mom she has like a lot of her old school stuff and she wrote a lot of poetry but she never really did anything with it right it was like oh it's just all this old school stuff and at her age i couldn't have written this well and so it makes me think because she went off to be an accountant but a lot of my imagination and stuff i do think i got from my mom because uh, just going back and reading her stuff as a kid it's almost it's so eerie the way we both viewed things you know like over active imagination and stuff i think that's another reason why my mom like me reading something she read as a kid so so i think that touches a point i i really do like lucy maud montgomery's work here i got some tolkien-esque feeling from it the way Anne's imagination so she calls the big tree uh, the snow queen and i love that whole part i just i just love how this kid's imagination took something in the real world and beautified it but in a way a kid would and the lake of shining waters i just love those names and it just gave me such a nice feeling to see it put uh, everything is so descriptive in the book so i could see it and in my head and almost the way imagination presented itself but so yeah um, any last points about the book we'll, we'll take i'm trying to think of any last points that haven't been brought up that that we haven't talked about um did you know that matthew was going to die when you were reading it yeah i did oh yeah sorry this is the point where we spoil everything for, for our viewers um, also too like it is it is a hundred and it is 112 years old so it's true it's like what uh, <laughs> like, all, yeah, like i accidentally we... spoiled that for myself i did accidentally spoil that for myself i don't know what i was looking up but i was looking something up on the internet about anna green gables and popped up and it was like oh yeah matthew dies i'm like oh well i mean i'm not overly shocked based on what i've read so far like i feel like that was like a natural like a natural way to go for this book to end as soon as it happened i was just like punching walls in my apartment i'm just like, <laughs> just like oh, i can't why matthew <laughs> no one of the uh... It's just such a sad ending. Like it's just, it's like super happy of building the entire book, and then boom, the last four chapters, like chapter whatever is like the Reaper shows up or whatever it's called, and then yeah, it's like, like laying in my bed. The commentator was like reading off the names of the chapters, and so this whole time I'm getting in this like, oh, what misadventures are gonna befell this time? And it's like, and it's like chapter thirty-seven, the Reaper whose name is Death. And I'm like, what is this? Like a heavy metal album cover now? Like, <laughs> I didn't want to believe Matthew was going to die, but reading that chapter is like just like Yoda when he feels Order 66. He's like, <laughs> just that, like, oh my God. just hurts. And then, yeah, so. And also, like, the the last chapter, I think right before they kill him off, is this, like, immensely, like, poignant and like touching moment that he has with Anne and I'm like oh he's gonna die for sure and then you flip the page and it's like the reaper whose name is death and I'm just like good lord (laughs) yeah um, I feel like one day when I have kids uh, if I ever have kids uh, I would love the opportunity to sit down and and read them whether they're a a boy or a girl like because I think uh, that there's some like I think anybody could take anything from this book if you, if you read it and take a step back, and uh, and I really enjoyed it about the entire book. I absolutely agree with you, Doug, because I think it's an important book. I said in the intro that this is uh, 
a movie club about uh, movies adapted from books. Well, this is a movie, but it was made for TV um, by the by the great Canadian Broadcasting Corporation um, in 1985, and uh, it was adapted by Kevin Sullivan. Uh, yeah, so movie. the so the TV movie, um, I think. Uh, I think it was it was really good. I actually started watching uh, the anime um, from the seventies. For those who don't know, um, Anne of Green Gables is adapted by um, a Japanese animation studio. I don't remember what their name is, and it's all available on YouTube for free. So I started watching the anime first. Um, I think while I was reading the novel. It's interesting because I really like the CBC adaptation. I really like the the 1985 version. It's just strange because it's just they obviously cut out a lot, and uh, and they just kind of streamlined the adaptation a little bit more. Um, so it's three hours long, and they fit as much of the story in as possible. There's just like little things that I feel like move a lot quicker in the TV show that they than they did when I was reading it. Um, and having watched the anime, the anime is almost a word for word adaptation. Like each episode is each chapter almost, and nothing happens in each episode. Like it'll like barely anything happens over the course of the episode. Like I think the Amethyst Bruce Brooch lasts for like, is is like a two episode arc or something. <laughs> like it like takes a really long time to resolve that scenario. So it was interesting watching the TV show and, and just seeing how like, streamlined the adaptation is um i did i really enjoyed it i thought the tv show was uh was was very accurate to the way they um to the way it was written i think the cast was phenomenal i definitely see why people love it so much and why they love megan follows as an as Anne shirley so much there's uh there's an interesting arc that Anne goes through over the course of the book is like she does start off as this like very naive um uh, adolescent um but by the end of it she she really does mature quite a bit and um and to have an actress that can play both those roles she does that very well like the megan falls at the end of that series versus the start of the series you really do see how much she's grown and how much her character changes yeah i thought the adaptation was um like a really good one. And like you said, like, but there was like, obviously parts that were cut out uh, parts that felt streamlined. Like you said, like they took like two different chapters and like combined them into one. I remember um, her dyeing her hair green and yeah. not, what, what, what was the other part that was? And I think, I think the Amethyst Brooch and her dyeing her hair green were at the, or no, no, it was her dyeing her hair green. And when she first meets Gilbert and he, um, and he calls her carrot. Calls her carrot. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like they like they like you know mix two chapters together, and you can tell. And like it was for the most part. Like I thought it was very like not even for the most part. I thought it was very well done in that regard. Like it did a really good job for it. Um, the one thing that I that was the most different would have been her relationship with Gilbert Blythe. But um, overall, I think the 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 movie is a very very good adaptation. It hit all the notes that I was looking. for. Or in an in an Green Gables adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like everything you guys said. I found because uh, the, the version that that I watched was cut in two. When I think I think it actually comes in part was one and two parts. Mm-hmm. And I thought the first the first part 
I felt was really close to the book. And then the second part, they kind of amalgamated so much of the book because, well, and the thing is, you, you have to, right? Like, I, I don't fault it for, for any creative decisions that ended up making. The one thing I didn't like was the Gilbert um, storyline. For me, this book, Anna Green Gables, and, and, and I haven't read any of the other books, admittedly, but this book was a was a family story of a uh, of Marilla and and Anne uh, becoming a family and uh, and then Anne's misadventures and then in the book Gilbert Blythe um, well she doesn't even say his name uh, mm. for, for basically the entire book and then is and then uh, and then at the end of the book and they're finally like well let's like well let's be friends sort of situation and we'll and we'll start studying together like, like it gave the Marilla and a lot of room to breathe in the actual book, but I, I didn't, I, I don't know. I just didn't like the, the Gilbert. They're really at, at a certain point in the, in the adaptation uh, TV series, they were really pushing this, uh, this romance between the two. And it's not that I hated it. It's just that I, I, I kind of wish that they didn't in a way. Uh, but as I said, I don't know how you would do that otherwise, like creatively as a, if, if you're, if you're making this. Uh, uh, yeah, I want to talk about that, but Jesse, why don't you give us your thoughts on the, it was okay for the most part. It's just, I find it hard to take the book, which is so descriptive in the environment that it's almost becomes magical and translate that into live action. It's almost like it was just the backdrop. And like Doug said, you feel like PEI is almost like a character, right? And I did watch a couple of episodes of the anime, the one that you posted, Calvin. And I got that magic back because it's easier to do things with the animation style. Like you can add that magic literally. So again, it was okay. It's just, I felt like something was lacking there. And I, it, I was just watching the adaptation. It wasn't like reading the book. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Matthew's death is different. Um, yeah, it's slightly different in the movie. Yeah, he dies out in the field, much like Qui Gon Jinn in Episode One, where they're just <laughs> looking at each other, and Matthew's got this lightsaber <laughs> hole burnt through his chest. But like, I think Matthew's death in the book hits way harder because not a lot of people get uh, the death of embracing someone the last time. It can just be like you know, you're here one second and you're gone, and that's exactly what happened with Matthew. It's it's that it was just there. The heart attack happened. He was just at the door frame reading the newspaper, right? And it was just like there, and it was just it hits you differently. Uh, he in the book, he had just gotten the letter saying that uh, the the bank that's they, right uh, that the, the, the bank was foreclosing. Uh, like, all, all their money's gone. Yeah, all my money. It's just like yeah. It just had more of an impact in the book. Reading the look on his face, and you're like, oh no, oh no, what's happening? Whereas he's out in the field and he's pulling the cow and like. He has the heart attack, and you know you kind of see. You know, there's that long pause. Whereas in the book, I, I think it hits harder in the book than it did in the movie. But that's just my two cents. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily disagree. I did really like how they handled the death scene the in the movie, though, because I think. Um, but uh, but like I think that also just speaks to like how they portrayed Matthew in the in the TV show. I found him more likable in the TV show. And maybe that is just the fact of the actor's job. But yeah, it just, it took me longer for me to warm up to him in the book and, and like understand that like, oh, like he is just this like really lovely, caring father figure. Whereas in the TV show, you feel that right away. 
so his death scene is super effective. But uh, but to go back to Doug's point about Gil- about how they portray Gilbert, I I do completely agree. I think I think what you said is 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 interesting, and I never thought about it. But they do make the the romance kind of the forefront, or they try to make it the forefront, certainly of part two. Um, then and make it a much bigger part than it was in the book. Cause in the book, like really, I, I almost don't see the romance being a thing at all. They are so distanced and there is no like real romance. I almost feel like it's, it is so much a coming of age story and it is so much a story about her family um, that like, there is no room for romance in there. You know, like I think like she's so young that she's not thinking in those terms. And I think, um, and I think like, yeah, like forcing that into the TV show is kind of is kind of poor. Like I wasn't a big fan of it. I also just wasn't a fan of Gilbert in general in the TV show. He's a total asshole. <laughs> like some of the stuff, but like some of the stuff that he does, like he like, and I don't know if it's in the book that he tugs on her hair. I'm like, dude, that is way out of line. Like calm the fuck down. <laughs> like, He's like trying to get her attention and then pulls her braid and, and calls her carrots. Like, yeah, no, talk shit, get hit. Like, I, I don't blame Anne one one bit for cracking his head with a with a slate. Good on her. I just, yeah, I just didn't like him. I just didn't like how, like, how much of a dick he was. And it's like, because he likes her. I'm like, whatever. And I think like forcing that romance in the in the TV show is odd. And and yeah, I think it's it's a thing where if you've read the rest of the books that that is a bigger plot point like there's a there's a blossom romance between the two of them um spoiler alert yeah but not in the first one the first one is like it's it's strictly a coming of age book um and yeah i just th- i just didn't think there was any room for that it's um yeah i felt it was a little forced to agree to Doug's point i i um I, I I agree with you. Like in the book, it isn't at the forefront, like a relationship. But I definitely like as soon as like that first chapter happens, when they like kind of like develop that feud, I was like, I immediately, without any knowledge of anywhere the books go, I actually have no idea where the books go from this. But I was like, they're probably gonna like as adults, they're probably going to have a, rela- a relationship. I definitely jumped mm-hmm. to that conclusion. Because I just thought, storytelling wise, I think that was where that where that relationship would likely end up going for some reason. But you're right; like it wasn't really necessary in yeah, the first. Sure. It wasn't in the first book, and therefore it wasn't really necessary in the in the in the miniseries that we watched. Sure, like I agree. I like I know what you mean. It's like it's a storytelling perspective where you're like, I see where this is going. But like to put it into yeah. perspective, it would be the same as like if in the very first Harry Potter movie, they were already developing a romance between Ron and Hermione. You'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Like, to people who have read the series, it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a romance that develops down the line, but like... Follow alert. You know, yeah, sorry. Sorry to spoil Harry Potter and Anne of Green Gables for everyone. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, the, but also, too, a, like, as the perspective, and so, sorry if I cut you off, but the perspective of the producers as well, well, at CBC or yeah, CBC, um, like it'd be hard to sell. It's like this is just a kids where there's no romance at all, and then and there's like oh by the way there'll be two you know there'll be two uh, fairly good looking leads as well. So I think as like 
just just with the producer and like the 1985 they're yeah. like no we're not producing this unless we have a romance between unless you show a good portion of that blossoming romance or whatever but i also disagree i actually think i actually think that she in the book strangely enough um and her reaction to gilbert i think that she has and, and this just goes back to her being a child i think she she immediately has a crush on gilbert and she has the crush over the course of the entire book but as a child you don't know how to show any of those emotions and so that's why she didn't say his name even though if you look at everything they were actually kindred spirits and she was always looking and excited about kindred spirits and the person most kindred to Anne was Gilbert but she refused uh to to do anything about it or to be his friend because I actually think that she had those feelings she just didn't know how to like show them I guess uh, and, and that's hard. That would like that you can also have that in a movie, but it'd be super hard. You'd have to like have a lot of like internal you know, dialogue. Yeah, internal dialogue where they're just looking at each other with like, you know, unsure of like <laughs> voiceover. Um <laughs> yeah, with the this, this is attack of the clones, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I that, sorry, that's just that goes back to the book, and that's just my general take on it. Hmm. But yeah, I um, and uh, there's also the Netflix Anne with an E. Did anybody uh, watch that? I've not no. seen it yet. It's probably something I would watch eventually, but yeah. Oh, well, sorry, everybody. Um, yeah, it's a uh, uh, first of all, just to go back to the Gil- to Gilbert being her kindred spirit. Yes, possibly. But as far as I'm concerned, Anne has only one true love in in this series, and it's Diana. Okay, like they're their friendship is like the absolute is like the absolute expression of love as far as i can see and that's another thing i thought that the tv show did like splendidly is their relationship is is hilarious and it's and it's so so incredibly like touching to watch and like and yeah just like the moments that i know are iconic and i know a lot of people have talked to me about it and like the episode with the cordial and the current line is is like super funny um and like that performance and their chemistry in those scenes is so good um i yeah and i just i just love marilla's like reaction to the whole thing and just saying like well like maybe if your child had some self-control and didn't drink three tumblerfuls of cordial <laughs> she'd be okay <laughs> The book in its in and of itself was hilarious, but like the the TV show did a really good job of adapting how ridiculous some of those scenes are. Um, especially, also the other one that always comes to mind is when they have to part, or when like Diana's mother prevents them from seeing each other, and they have to say goodbye to each other. And it's just the it's the most dramatic scene in the book and in the and in the tv show too it's just this the the most dramatic possible thing and it's like they're they're still gonna see each other like they still see each other at school it's just it's just so (laughs) it's so incredibly dramatic and i love that like that's one that's one thing i love so much about this like i said at the start that it's such a calming book to read because there's so little conflict when there is conflict, it's melodramatic and it's and it's ridiculous, um, and that's what's so good about it. Is it's just so fun. Um, yeah. Another thing I really liked that we didn't touch up, touch on was like the whole uh, child child being uh, sick 
like the, the with the croup and stuff like that and they i can't even remember what the uh yeah i i really like that scene in both both the book and the adaption it kind of switches everything for her because it kind of felt like Anne was always an outsider and people looked down on her and then after that happened in both the book and the adaption it kind of switched where everybody looked at her differently and talked about Anne Shirley differently uh and i and i did like that as well there is a like a dramatic shift in in how you see yeah, her it, character that like she is this like extremely capable young woman and not just this like whimsical um child yeah one other thing i think the the actress that plays rachel lind is also really good in this like she's equally like despisable but also so despisable that it's funny like every time she shows up at the house like marilla's reaction to her and like the fact that she has to deal with her again is just is so hilarious um but one of my one of my favorite lines that she says is at the end of the show um I think like it might even be like one of the very last lines of the entire thing, but it's like, it's after Matthew dies and, and, and decides to stay at green Gables and not go to college and teach at the school and stuff. Um, and she's like talking to them about what her plans are. And she's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to teach at the school. Um, and she's like, Oh, and you're not going to go to, and you're not going to continue your education. And she's like, no, like I'm still going to take, correspondence courses and and try to try to finish it that way and uh and rachel's just like you're gonna do all that while you're teaching at the school and it's like yep i'm totally capable i can do this and she walks away and then rachel's just like so disapproving of the fact that she's doing both those things at the same time she turns to marilla and she literally says well she's gonna kill herself in the end marilla <laughs> just like what the hell <laughs> no confidence <laughs> yeah uh... When I just started reading Anne of Anne of Avonlea, the the part two, and and there was a funny part in that where uh, Marilla and Anne were talking, and they and she walks upstairs, and they or they're talking about uh, Rachel Lind, and they say, you know what? If we went upstairs, closed the door, and and sneezed to ourselves, <laughs> the next day Rachel Lind would be at the doorstep wondering if we have a cold or something. Yeah. And I actually burst out laughing when I read that, and I just read that like the other day. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing we didn't talk about that was definitely my favorite scene of the entire book was when uh uh when matthew goes to go pick up her uh, pick her up a dress for christmas yeah and, and uh, when i reading that i was reading that chapter and just howling like it was the funniest <laughs> thing to me and and they did do it they did do it in the book but i kind of wish that they had done it originally how it was written where uh, instead he just left with uh with his 20 pounds of uh <laughs> with his 20 pounds uh, of brown sugar yeah. and, and then he went to rachel lind and she she figured it out but anyways i just uh, that was that's that was my favorite chapter and my favorite scene of of both both uh, things that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I actually had that written down. Was the 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 scene in the in the book is hilarious, but they did it really well on the TV show too. Is just him buying twenty pounds of sugar and then coming home with twenty pounds of, sh- and it's just <laughs> and it's just Marilla like haphazardly baking in the kitchen, being like, well, twenty pounds of sugar, like. <laughs> like <laughs> Like oh yeah no Rachel Lynn though I like like <laughs> cannot stand that character I know it's so, so annoying so ridiculous sure but like <laughs> I, it it really probably does speak a lot about small town life I never grew up in a small town so I don't know but like there's so many of those in Canada and I I imagine Prince Edward Island probably has a lot of those too 
And I'm sure for people who are watching or reading the book, they almost certainly know a Rachel Lind. Like they almost certainly grew up with a woman like that or a person like that. And we're like, oh my God, like I know exactly who this character is. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, Anne of Green Gables. I think uh, if we were to pick which one we liked more, it's a hard one to say. Um, I would I would probably pick the book just because of how how descriptive it was and um and yeah like a lot of that I, I like the part yeah exactly like I, I think I think I definitely like the book more yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely the book for me yeah Same. um cool so we'll call that a wrap on Anne of Green Gables um thank you for listening um I really need to work on outros um we didn't we- uh, Oh yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about yeah. So the next oh yeah, we we got to pick our wrestlers to to play in uh, in our Anne of Green Gables adaptation. <laughs> so so yeah, if we were to adapt this um, in current day, uh, who would we cast, and how many of them would be professional wrestlers? <laughs> the obvious answer to Anne of Green Gables, it would have to be portrayed by <laughs> Becky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I knew you were yeah. going to say Becky Lynch. And I, I was like, <laughs> Vince McMahon plays Matthew. That's that's what I'd have. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just so out of character for him too. It's just for him to play this extremely pleasant, <laughs> lovely old man, um, just trying to raise Becky Lynch. Most yeah, I love it. person in professional wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I do wish the WWE would adapt it because it would be, be a garbage fire and I'd be totally <laughs> worth watching. So <laughs> It's true. If, yeah. if Becky Lynch plays Anne, then Seth Rollins would have to play Gilbert Blythe. <laughs> I wanted to make a joke about the whole thing with like Matthew losing his money in the bank match, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so do your outro and... Uh... I guess what we will say is the next book that we've picked is um, Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, um, which I'm excited for. Um, and we will be watching the Netflix miniseries um, as the adaptation for it. Um, yeah. And that's page and screen, folks. Special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on the show. If you think I'd love to hear more of their music, well, you can by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great way to support the show. As well, please leave us a review and a rating. Also, feel free to connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen 1 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch, and we would love to hear your thoughts on all of them. We're not the only ones who can offer our unwarranted opinions, so chime in and join the conversation. And finally make sure you spread the word about this show. If you know a book nerd or film geek in your life, please pass it on. We would love to reach them. Maybe you have a bosom friend of your own. Listen to this together. Trade notes. Until the next page and screen, thank you for listening.